Um, all right, welcome to this podcast, Bites. I am Alice Wilfred Earl. You can find me on Twitter at Alice Dragon. And today we are discussing Let the Right One In by John Ajvide A- Lindqvist. That sounds good. Matty. Okay, so I'm Matty Tucker. I'm at Doomed Rider on Twitter. Um, and yes, that's me. Um, Michael? I'm Michael Gordon. I technically am still at Ben Gorham on Twitter. Uh, Though, yeah, I haven't really been using it much. Also, Dracula Bites. Go check out Dracula Bites. It's still there. (laughs) Has Dracula Bites said anything recently? God, no. I... In, unless I had scheduled something years ago, <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible, but no. Like that, a one, uh, that one like, Rocky Horror uh, uh, Twitter account that. Oh that yeah, said, the, yeah, said, yeah. I, I see you shiver with Antissa, and then like eight years later, said patient. <laughs> <laughs> commitment to a joke that I'm impressed by. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm Joffrey Spurl at Joffrey Spurl on Twitter and JoffreySpurl.com. Um, and I'm ostensibly the guy who's supposed to be organizing this stuff and getting the files together and make sense. And one of these days I'll actually get them all together and there will be quite a library of things for us to. X. Show off to our friends and family. Talking about vampires in real life. Here I am talking about vampires on the internet. I was I was using a, a a second account of mine that I use that doesn't mute or doesn't block anybody just to check up on on some stuff. And um, it, it I saw a promoted tweet for. The official podcast from the port of Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe we've reached peak podcast at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Cleveland's a very busy port, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm sure they have things to talk about. My local library is doing a podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, at least there's, you know, books to talk about. They're also a very active library, to be fair. There was a joke that went around a little while ago. It's what, what do you call a group of, of white men in their 30s to 50s? A podcast. Of course. Oh. <laughs> uh. So there you go. We're the worst. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Alice. Fred, right. Fred. Um, so, I recommended this book because I saw the film back when we were at uni, didn't I, Matty? Mm. And I loved it. And then I got the book and I loved it even more. Um, and I think it's just wonderfully dark and Northern European um, in that very gruesome way. So, what did you not think? Mm. Yes. <laughs> It was dark. <laughs> I, it was dark. I, I, I have a low tolerance for like pedophilia in books. And being inside the head of one for a good chunk of the novel is just like icky. But it was yeah. well written. 
it was a well-written book, but just, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's that kind of shudder, isn't there? That, yeah. 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 I mean, that character had a lot of stuff. It's like, just, oh, the acid. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that nice. stuck with me. Uh, Joffrey hasn't gotten up to that point. But you saw well, the movie, right? I saw the movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, that was... Yeah, they, they captured it. His pedophilic well. nature isn't quite as strong in the movie. No, not... Yeah, definitely not in the American one. I don't... like The American... I can't even speak to the American one. I haven't seen Let Me In at all. Yeah, so. it's not worth it. But, I mean, considering that a lot of the stuff is, you know, in his head... It's it doesn't come across in a movie, mm-hmm. like unless mm-hmm. they you know, really unless they really wanted it to. But in a book, you really get it's his an interesting character, creepy but <clears throat> interesting. Interesting character. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember. It's it's been a while, but if I remember correctly, it's he hadn't actually done anything uh other than you know have child porn i think um and so i i don't know if we're supposed to like feel bad for him that you know he lost his job and all this stuff and you know he's never touched a kid but it's like oh you're still creepy yeah yeah i mean what if we're talking about hakan um yeah um I think the thing that he is, um, he's awful and despicable and pathetic, but Mm -hmm. he's also fiercely loyal. And he does have a moral code. That whole thing about he he won't do it if if they've had their teeth removed. He's got a moral code. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's sort of, yeah, because he, he does it doesn't stop him from being icky, but and it almost makes it worse because he's not mm. black and white evil. There is still this sense in which he's got a moral compass, and it just right. won't go that far. Yeah. So this this brings me to a sort of point that I think about a lot here, which is, and, and we're going to discuss the books and, and and the films just generally. But what is a monster in in the context of the novel because i mean from from my readings of it and i'm gonna focus mostly on the novel here but is that there is nobody who is particularly redeemable not not oscar not not ellie not um not tommy everybody has this sort of vileness beneath the surface you've got oscar's obsession with serial killers you've got his um He's fantasizing of violence. I've heard some readers describe him as a deeply sadistic person. I'm not sure if I buy that, but he's not, you know, there is no innocence in this novel. No. So where would we, so we talk about Hakan's obvious monstrosity and the way it's kind of confused, but I, I, I mean, really what I want to put, put to the floor is, is, is how does the novel deal with purity and monstrosity as concepts? And and the films as well by, sorry, it's always books by extension. By extension, yeah. So, oh god. I mean, comparing the film to the book, um, and granted, obviously, I didn't finish the book, but um, 
comparing the film to the book, Oscar's obsession is much less, you know, again, it, it's, it's much less prevalent. You know? mm. um, so his, his, his obsession about the, the serial killers, the violence, the blood um, is, is drastically less in the movie than it is in the book. Mm. I mean, I, I, I think despite the movie being as strong as it is, the movie really does sort of backpedal on, yes. on a lot of the more, um, <clears throat> a lot of the more disturbing characteristics of the other characters. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, Oscar isn't completely 100% innocent in the movie, but yeah. he's he's much more of a sympathetic character. Mm. And granted, I mean, okay, yeah, a boy of that age, yes, there is some fascination with, with you know, yeah. thinking about these things and trying to come to terms with them, but Oscar is clearly much further past what yeah. is deemed suitable <clears throat> or normal. Um, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. So I can't really speak too much to, to that. But yeah, I mean, I think the movies present a much more... I think the movie, I, the original movie, presents a much more... Um, homogenous stayed just sort of uh, if we're going to use the subar suburban analogy the suburban <laughs> metaphor um, it, it's it's like everything is, is that perfectly kept Tupperware dish yeah. and introducing Eli or Ellie is it Ellie or Eli? I think it might be Eli I, I think it might be Eli um, I, it's purposefully <laughs> left up in the, yeah. in the air. Um, just sort of introducing the vampire into it, sort of lets all the bacteria in. And, mm -hmm. yeah. whereas, whereas in the book, it lets them out. Yes. It's, it's the, the vein of corruption that sort yes. of runs through. Yeah. And it's all there and in sort of stasis. And then... And I'm going to come to gender in a bit, but mm -hmm. I'm going to say her for an eye. Mm -hmm. um, That's a reason we'll discuss later. Oh, yes. uh, but that her influence affects and shifts and creates, well, not creates, but releases the fact that, you know, the, everything was a closed loop before she entered. Mm -hmm. So uh, Oscar's bullying was a closed loop and Tommy's disaffection was a closed loop and the alcoholism and self-destruction of the of the of the bar group whose names all lack lacks the main yeah, yeah. um it, it, it's this sort of it's this closed self-destructive loop on a slow spiral to the grave and she disrupts all of that but not by introducing corruption yeah no i mean <clears throat> the thing that i so i got from the book in particular is there is a really strong sense of destitution of this part of Sweden, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. and, um, and if you haven't put the supernatural element in, 
you would have a really just strong realist novel <clears throat> about yeah the grimy horrible sort of nature of that sort of bit with all these awful characters right actually there is the <laughs> Eli 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 uh, whatever her name is um <clears throat> is in one sense the purest character in the novel agreed you know, she, she, yeah. she, you know, right down to the she, she comes as the avenging angel right at the end there. Um, <clears throat> uh, and one of the things is, you know, she, yeah, she is that, she is that escape, she is that sort of thing from outside, and she knows who she is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, it's <clears throat> yeah, there, there isn't a um, redeemable character in that novel. Mm-mm. And um, you get all those sort of subsidiary, you know, the main sympathetic characters, Tommy, Oscar, and Lack, have, are all, yeah, twisted and yeah, yeah not particularly pleasant in their own way. <clears throat> the the monster, the, but you, you, you've got that. It's a slight sort of bit trite almost in describing it in this way. But the monster of the novel is society itself that yes. created all these broken people. You can't get out. <clears throat> um, as opposed to Let Me In, um, <clears throat> where that is, it, it, that's much more simplistic narrative in that in the in the last of the three versions of this, where they've um, where uh, the the vampire. What's the name in it? Abby. Abby is yeah not yeah not black and white monster but still pretty monstrous and the way that they film all the um cinematography around it very yeah. much makes out that she is a monster very and cool. a lot of the other things characters around it are yes yeah, so the police officer is perfectly good and um and then, and then you take out the whole sort of corruption of whole society, and what you basically just got is um, Owen, who is Oscar in the in that film, um, is he's a victim. Isn't he's it? a victim of a broken family, and it's a specific nuclear problem here, where he has not got a father figure, and he's got an alcoholic mother, and that is the reason why he has no guiding principle. So, in, for the latter half of the film every time you see his mother she's passed out drunk <clears throat> and therefore he gets led away by the vampire and it's, it's the final line in that film is eat some now save some for later isn't it Which yes it's <laughs> not at all to in my opinion the ending of um let either version of let the right one in i don't know how you guys feel about that sorry i'm just touching i remember <laughs> it's i mean from what for what what i got from is it let me in or please let, let me in, in. Let, let me in, in. Let is me in. Yeah. which is such a different meaning honestly just the title yeah. it's, it's yeah, an yeah. imperative rather than yes. a an advice um is that basically oscar is equally her victim as everyone else mm-hmm. she killed whereas i think in let the right one in in both versions, they're kind of kindred spirits. Yeah. Yes, though I think I always I came away from from the original movie 
thinking that this this is just a pattern for mm. Ellie, Eli, however yeah. you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> and that Oscar is just the same, you know, type that she, he wants each time. And when Oscar is in his mid-40s, mid-50s, and is coming to terms with what he's done, mm. you know, it will just repeat again. Although I, I can get that from the film, but not from the book. Yeah, because the, the thing in the book in Pacific, and it, I think it's vaguely mentioned in the film, um, <clears throat> is the fact that um, Hakan was... Um, rescued when he was already middle-aged. Yeah, true. Um, and he was already a twisted, broken person at that point. And she rescued him because she needed him. And it was transactional, not emotional. <clears throat> and the re the interaction between Eli and um, Oscar, the... <clears throat> there is a sense of desperation from her point of view that she wants <clears throat> someone who isn't sexually attracted to her. Mm. And this, 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 this whole thing of she's very, very much this, she knows that Hakan fancies her, is lusting after her. And she's used that as a power over him but finds it deeply uncomfortable. And that's, that's certainly what I read from that. And I, I, I just, <clears throat> just, just to add to that reading, I think that when she is, um, from, from Hakan's point of view, he complains that Eli has started wanting to play and is acting more childish rather than being this sort of godlike figure in the body of a, of a from his mm -hmm. perspective, beautiful boy. And that, the, the the fact that, you know, the, um, Eli's backstory is that they had their childhood robbed from them. And with Oscar, they are almost getting it back. It's it's less transactional. <clears throat> and I, I can see in the film, because certainly when I first saw the film, I, I came out with yeah. that, that it is exactly the same pattern and that Hakan was just the last guy. And certainly Let Me In leans into that. Yeah, because in Let Me In, you see photographs of, um, of the vampire and... Um, whoever, whatever the name of Hakan is in, in that, when they were both 12. Okay. And, oh. um, and obviously the vampire was, is always 12. But, but yeah, so as in when they were the same age, so equally the same age as Owen in it. And so very much it buys into the idea, this is just a pattern, this is just a thing. But I don't think that's in the book. No. <clears throat> at least to the same extent. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, this is kind of tangential to that, but I, one thing I would ask is what constitutes real violence? Because um, I think this touches on what we've been talking about. So we talked about, um, Matty, you, you said about Hakan kind of moralising in his own head that he's never actually touched a child. And we've got Oscar fantasising about stabbing someone. You've got that wonderful scene in both the book and the Swedish film where um, Eli calls back at him the first words that she heard him say, which are um, squeal like a pig and stabbing the tree. Mm -hmm. Are you afraid? Are you afraid? And that doesn't actually happen in the American film. 
No. But it's Oscar's violence is fantasy. Hakan's violence is fantasy. What? But is it? And I, I think I'd ask you know what? What do we take as constitutes real violence? And I think that's one of the questions that both the book and the Swedish film ask, and the American film. Sorry, it's an English film actually. It's a Hammer film, isn't it? It's Terrible. Hammer, but I still think it's actually considered. Well, it's set in America, so... Yeah. It's set in the U.S. Um, the production companies are EFTI, Hammer, and Exclusive Media Group, I think. Uh, Hammer paid interest in it. The rights were purchased. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think... Yeah, I think, I think you could call it an American film. The English language film. Let's go. There we go. The, yeah. yeah. Kind of skims over, as it skims over literally everything else. Um, <laughs> so what is violence? What, what constitutes real violence, really? Um, that's sort of something I'm... Tying people upside down and bleeding them out. <laughs> I mean, there's some pretty real violence. Yeah. And it's very... I don't know. It's... I don't know what I was trying to say, but it's no, different. You've, you've, you've got a point. I mean, people moralize inside their head mm. about what's real and what isn't. And yeah, and then they string people up by their ankles and cut their throats. You know, it's. Yep. So is it about disconnect here? Hmm. I mean, it would just write, write down the fact that Eli doesn't um, doesn't like to do the killing himself, and yeah. that is potentially fully explained by the lack of desire to um, uh, to, to infect uh, her victims. Because right. um, yeah, that's the it's the, as in. She, she shouldn't bite them because then she leaves the infection in, therefore, and that's, and that's a moral responsibility there. But ultimately, what happens is she set, she has Hakan so that he can go out and do these incredibly violent deaths to bring her the blood. So she's distanced from it. So she's... <laughs> and, and, and she only resorts to doing the killing herself because of his failures. But it, that thing, yeah, there's, there's, there's that distancing mm. there. Um... And yeah, I mean, uh, I just think that's something. I think some sort of parable with the bullying um, mm. going on here, and um, <clears throat> this. I, I mean, that that this is a bit more of a typical bullying type one, but that sort of sense of which oh, this has become so real, and uh, when when they cross over that boundary, mm. yeah. and and actually just. Just to kind of call on that, you've got the bit at the beginning where Oscar attacks a tree mm. and thinks he has killed someone. Right. Yeah. Yes. Kind of magical thinking. Right. I mean, it, it, it is written in such a way to make the reader think for a bit that mm. he has killed someone as well. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 
I think there's definitely an argument to be made that uh, Lindquist is making, um, is saying that the the, the lines between um, actual physical violence and um, imagined violence are are not as distinct and and um, uh, not as distinct and and not as simplistic to just wave your hand and say oh I just I've, I've never touched a child I've only looked yeah yeah um, so it, it is this an arg um, is, is this an argument for computer games being bad <laughs> to be simplistic on this that's <laughs> it just as much because you could I suppose on that basis you could argue just as much as imagined violence in computer games obviously you know this, this is set before the kind of computer games we're talking about these days um, is as very much a attempt to realize that and is indistinguishable for in the same way that um, pedophilic video watching is indistinguishable from the physical act possibly. I mean, you know, I, 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 I just recently um, finished playing through Skyrim again. You know, it took me two years to do it. Um, but I just finished getting all of the uh, achievements. That was, that was a pain in the rear. Um, <laughs> but uh, especially since that last one, you can't, you can't get the... You can't get the dragon you've got to fight until you reach level 75. And it's like, ah, so I basically, I made a lot of armor that I didn't need. <laughs> because that was the fastest way to, to get my character leveling. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there is a pornographic aspect, you know, to, to that as well when you think about it um i don't know if any of you have played skyrim but there are a couple of times where um your killing blow will actually become a cinematic so if you've been in a particularly intense fight and you've got a final killing blow where you take out your your opponent you will see your character it'll go to a third person point of view and you'll see your character bury the the axe or the sword into the um, opponent's head or take their head off or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a, mm. that's there for spectacle. That's there for... Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's, so, that's, that's, that's enabling voyeurism. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, no, that's interesting. But it's a question of what do we do with that? You know, I, I, I don't think I am inclined in any way, shape, or form to go out and start hunting, you know, people. No. Um. <laughs> and, I mean, I suppose in one sense, something that um, is addressed by probably all of the mediums, actually, mm -hmm. um, is this idea that you've got these various scales of fantasy violence going on towards mm -hmm. 
real violence and and, and things. And <clears throat> there's that moment when, well, actually, the, the the pure sort of violence is in you know, the desperation of Eli or the post-human Hakan. Um, when he's like stumbling around and his pure aggression and lust, and and that, that is kind of that. Um, and and in uh, Let Me In, you've got this sort of um, where you've got the essentially weakest, most innocent version of the main boy and cat boy character, um, where he, after sort of yeah, he, so he's got that he's got that vague fancy getting in the life and punching things <clears throat> but in the very first instance of being um oh no he, uh, yeah um he gets his knife at one point and is it's completely pathetic with it but you've got the little bit later where he witnesses um the vampire um tearing into the police officer and that they, they focus on him closing the door on it and is that the and i would almost suggest that's in all all, all of the mediums which is um that actually that is beyond us that is that is that kind of purity of mm. it's the sense that just because you fantasize heavily about something you can't actually do it mm. so the um and I'm, I'm going to the book here but when for example they are um hitting oscar with sticks the bullies they are sort of beating him and one of them goes to his face yes and everyone else draws back yeah because that crosses the line. And then when the older brother has him in, in the pool with a knife, all the boys are pulling back. Yeah. And there, there is that beyond this line, I will not go, which Eli does not have. And she, she says at one point, um, you know, it's hit harder than you dare. Mm. She lives by that. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. If you have violence unrestrained, violence without fantasy, violence that was just matter of fact about it, where do, where do we go from there? Morally. <laughs> mm. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, I've... Oh God, no! Oh God! Yeah. So, um, <coughs> because we we watched let let me in uh, last night. Okay. And um, I was just very briefly looking up reviews of the film, and I found um, this um, on commonsensemedia.org. Yeah. And it was very much looking at is um yeah how how do we deal with this when uh, talking to your children about watching this film? And then you, you don't watch this film. Let your children show. watch yeah. this film. How about that? You've got a little bit of a, it starts off with a parent's guide to what's in this movie. Positive messages, not present. Positive <laughs> models and representations, not present. But um, you then get, um, uh, after the general review, you say, talk to your kids about. After watching the film, what should you talk to your kids about? And we've got, families can talk about the film's violence and blood and gore. How did it affect you? And then... Is fighting back a good way of dealing with bullies? Did Owen's actions help his situation? What are some other ways of dealing with bullies? And finally, Owen clearly needed someone to reach out to, but is Abby the right choice? Who else could you have reached out to? 
And it's this... Oh, man. Yeah, I... You've already failed as a parent because you've shown your... You've shown your kids. <laughs> oh. So, you know, common sense is aim. I use common sense a lot to give me an idea as to whether or not something the boys want to watch is mm. even slightly appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Ben's like, I want to see Logan. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Great movie, dude. Not happening. Talk to me when you're like 14 or 15. Um, <laughs> and what I always love is there are the, you know, there's, there's what common sense says, which is 18 plus, right? Mm. So... Jeffrey M. Anderson is just trying to say, okay, here, look, here, here are your questions. If somehow you made a mistake and let your kid watch this thing, but I'm telling you, don't, don't let your kid watch this unless they're old enough for it. But parents, I find this amazing. Parents say 15 plus. Maybe. Maybe. The kids, I love it, say 13 plus. <laughs> <laughs> They're much tougher than people give them credit for. Michael, you don't have a 13-year-old yet, do you? No, I have an 11 and a half year old That's terrifying enough. Okay, all right. <laughs> not, not to 13 yet. No. And I definitely would not want to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt she ever will. <laughs> However, um, Twilight, she'll be all over. I hope not. But <laughs> we'll see. We should do Twilight at some point. That would be interesting. That would be my first time reading or seeing the movies. So please don't make me watch the movies. <laughs> well, I, I, I think they're part of the phenomenon, aren't they? Uh, Ugh, I hate you. <laughs> wasn't she being a bit like Rowling and writing them at the same time as the movies were out? Yeah, I think the yes, that last was. book. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Came out after the second book. movie, I right. think. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I um, may have a back of the last book. <laughs> Look, I was in a very difficult place. Uh, they were kind of soothing. Um, we're not, we're, you know, I read a ton of Piers Anthony as a, as a teenager. It's okay. I understand. If you haven't read Piers Anthony, has everybody read Piers Anthony? No. no. Okay. Um, Piers Anthony is probably one of the most prolific science fiction and fantasy writers over the past five decades. Um, the guy literally has a, a um, fantasy series that is based on puns that I think is somewhere around... 45 books or so at this point wow um wow. he's about i think he's a little bit older than my mother he might be more like 10 years older than my mother uh the series is at 45 the series is at 41 published with four more planned wow and Anthony is, Anthony was born in August of 34. So he's actually 13 years older than my mother. He's 85 years old now. 
Um, and he he is an extremely prolific. And teenage boys tend to love him because <laughs> he'll he'll talk about just stuff really from I mean his writing is is very much suitable to a teenage boy's point of view. Like, for example, you don't really get to know, and it's it's all very hetero and straight. You don't really get to know, um, your your who you're meant to be with till you see the color of her panties. Right. Okay. <laughs> there is. I think I book sixteen. I think book sixteen was called the color of her panties, if I remember correctly. Oh God. Oh. <laughs> Because, I mean, there's, there's, there's a thing in fiction aimed at teenage girls about the colour of his leather jacket. And if go. it's brown, you can take it home to meet your father. And if it's not, then he's a bad boy. And it's... It's, God. <laughs> it's, it's a little more innocent in that regard. Like, you're really not supposed to... Until you get married, you are not supposed to know the colour of any girl's panties. Period. Like, it's a very strict rule. No, you cannot know. Um, and then when you get married, you join the adult conspiracy. I see. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The adult conspiracy. The adult conspiracy. So the original trilogy, A Spell for Chameleon, The Source of Magic, and Castle Rukna, are actually very solid. Um, but then things just go and go and go um i mean at this point he's got the book coming out this year is fire sale s-a-i-l and then after that just right skeleton key and book 45 will be a tryst of fate <laughs> he's extremely good I mean, he, he really is. But yeah, there was a point where I was like 18 or 19 where I'm like, why the hell am I reading this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. 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 Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about that the right one. Is. We were talking about Twilight. We were talking about books, movies, Twilight. Common Sense yeah, Media. Okay. There we go. There we oh, go. Yes. yes. All right, so... Similar to the idea of parental guidance and all that stuff, some uh, one of the many missed opportunities of the English language movie, um, to my mind, was its dealing with the satanic panic. Mm. It's set in the time period. It wouldn't have been relevant in Sweden. Yeah. But I think, personally, if I'd had the direction of that film, I would have, seeing as they pulled the teeth of the book mm. a little bit, Yeah. Um, if they'd gone down that line, it might have been very, very interesting. The idea, and I was just thinking about how magical thinking kind of played into that. Because mm -hmm. we were talking before, Geoff, I, I'm making notes, because mm -hmm. I'm a nerd, um, about magical thinking and how thought violence affects real violence. And I think, actually, they really could have, really could have leaned into that. I, mm. um, they could have. They yeah. Could have. I mean, uh I was not allowed to tell my great-grandfather because he would send me checks for my birthday and for Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. I was not allowed to tell my great-grandfather what I bought with the money he gave me. 
because he would give me $25 in a check. And at the time, that was enough to go out and buy a hardcover D&D book. <laughs> in those far-off mystical days. So, you know, I mean, it was like 81, 82. I had the red box, but of course, everybody was like, you have to have the hardcover books. AD&D is where it's at. Not this. This isn't, this is, this is, this is like a shadow of AD&D. So you start going out and picking up the AD&D books. And my great grandfather, again, I loved him dearly. He was a very good man. Um, but he um, really enjoyed uh, watching the evangelicals on TV. So my mother was like, okay, you need to write him a thank you note and don't you dare tell him <laughs> what you did. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was how it hit me mostly. I remember some of the news reports about mm. the panic and I remember, I remember, I couldn't remember her name. I remembered bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Bad. I remember <laughs> bad. But I didn't remember her name. It was started by an anti-occult campaigner from Richmond, Virginia. Of course it's Virginia. Yeah, if it's not Virginia, it's West Virginia. Um, <laughs> Patricia Poling. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember her getting a ton of free airtime about that. And yeah, that was 1982 when she when she founded that. Mm. Granted, it was a one-person group. <laughs> I also remember. Uh, I don't know if any of you have read ElfQuest. Um, which was no. A, why, why, why do I know the name? It's, a, it's an independent comic book, and it's been oh, published it's... on and off since the late 70s. Is this the one? No, no, you carry on. Um, so. There was, I had gotten into ElfQuest about the same time that I got into Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and there was an editorial, Richard Penny, because it's a, it's a husband-wife team, Wendy and Richard Penny, Warp. Um, Richard Penny was uh, Wendy's editor. So he still is her editor. They're still, they're still creating stuff. Um, and he wrote an editorial in one of the issues about a woman named Vicki Frost who said very clearly, and I want to say again, she was from like Alabama or Mississippi or something like that. Um, and he said very clearly that he was disturbed by the fact that her statement was, um, our children's imagination is their worst enemy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's and this is all about the same time. So I agree. I'm, I'm agreeing very much with you, Fred, that that should have been in there. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they, they went into the cult thing. They Oscar was this geeky outsider. Come on. It's there. And this um, is before Stranger Things. So you can't even say that they're, they're aping Stranger Things. Yeah. If anything, Stranger I mean, Things would have been aping them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the, yeah, having watched Strange Things uh, recently, you've got that. This is exactly the right period. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, and, in, and of course, um, in the, in the Let the Right One In 
you've got all the stuff about the Hello? Hello? Did we lose them? I I, I think, think so. Them. Are we are we gone? No, there, there you, you are. are. You're back. Okay. Sorry. So Matthew was talking about the Russians in strain in um let the right one in. So there's the whole because it's set against the uh, apocalypse yeah. in the sense of the um the Russian right. submarine. Yes. Mm. Sorry, uh my Firefox decided to disallow the microphone for a little bit there. No. <laughs> I, it was because I was talking about Russians, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Um but yeah, so you you yeah, th this is and that would have been a that would have absolutely been a way to explore him. Yeah, because let me in is loosely taking the basic concept and running with it. It could have run a bit harder. Yeah, it's that it, it did a shot for shot remake rather than actually exploring the recontextualization. Yeah. Are they still here? Yes. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm listening, and I also wanted to find the quote by Vicky Frost, and I don't think I found the one that Richard Penny used, but I did find another one because she was part of a lawsuit, and her statement was that it is sinful to use imagination beyond the limits of scriptural authority. Hmm. So you guys know I grew up on the fringes of an evangelical church, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that Sunday school upbringing, apocrypha and all. Um, and this stuff was there. And I mean, this is this is later. Um, like, it, it gets quite a strong emotional response from me because these people were nuts. A lot of them were good people, but God, they were nuts. Um, this is all there. It's this idea that anything outside of this very safe, limited, prescriptive world is desperately dangerous. And I mean, from a Swedish perspective, that is almost what Let the Right One In is about, which mm -hmm. is that your world is so corrupt and broken that when a literal monster breaks in, they are no worse than anything you find there. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean... I Lindquist goes through great pains to explain how the community was planned and petitioned yes. and set up. I'd actually really like to read more about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's, it's partially one of the things that I enjoy is, is city planning and how cities work. And, mm. you know, the discussion, the, the pedagogical discussion you can have about do cities help us as human beings? Do they help with diversity? Do they help with feminism? Do they help with equality as a whole? And, you know, of course, clearly rural America thinks that cities are evil and, and have issues with it. Um, and I, I really wanted Lindquist to go further into that. But I, I think, yeah. yeah, definitely, you have this prescripted, very set rule designed to you know frame everybody's experience everybody's existence and there we go mm. um yeah um, yeah just 
just as a sideline to that, the only way you can escape that is through being a child. And I, I just, mm -hmm. Oscar's dad, who left them <clears throat> and went out and lived in the wilderness and was very back to nature in that way, he's framed as this complete inability to grow up. Yes. And Eli has been 12 for a very long time. Right. I, I, I'm just sort of thinking about that. It's that you can only get out of this by staying a child. And what frames Oscar's relationship with Eli is that being my girlfriend doesn't change anything. Mm. It just means you're my girlfriend. Yeah. There's nothing sexual there. It is, it's that fixation on, on childhood that isn't innocence. Well, yeah. But it's escape. Do we want to discuss um, gender and sexuality? I mean, uh, yeah. has, Eli, has Eli become, is Eli still a child? I mean, you know, if, if we go into the storyline about the castration, mm. is that symbolic for saying not only was Eli turned into a vampire, but he was castrated and therefore never became a man? Mm. Now, we looked this up, didn't we? Did the Swedish have gendered pronouns? Yes, I think I think I think okay. it does. Yes, it does. Because right. that that was because I know Finnish doesn't. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. Which yeah. Finnish like... doesn't does Hungarian? I have no oh, idea. Because I, I, I know, know Finnish and Hungarian are somewhat related. But... Okay. Yeah. But yeah, the but pronouns was like I'm trying to remember, but I you know we have scenes where. You know, it's still third person, but it's, you know, some scenes are from Oscar's perspective and some scenes are from Eli's and Hakan's. And the the pronouns in Eli's chapters switch after it's revealed to the reader. Yes. But, yes. But I found that, like, I don't know. I found that to be a bit, like, emphasizing the twist nature of it rather than, like... Yeah really exploring the character because yeah. the character's perspective hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't feel truthful. I got annoyed yeah. with the fact that yeah. the internal narrative changed the gender. Mm -hmm. I mean, per personally, I, I would see Eli as a gender verging towards trans feminine, which is why I've been using she mm. and will probably continue to do so mm -hmm. as it she repeatedly picks female coded presentation mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of picking a dress, in terms of wearing the hair long, in terms of, of, of wearing fem feminine clothing. And it's that, well, what if I wasn't a girl? Eh, what do you mean? You know, well, okay, I'm your girlfriend. As, mm. as somebody who is non-binary, that, that speaks on a level of actually, yeah, I'm going to be on this side of it if I can choose. And so it, it felt mm. rereading it, because as I say, I haven't read this since before I came out. It felt almost violent that reinforcement of male pronouns after yeah. having shared that experience with Oscar. And kind of almost to go with that in, in Let Me In. And again, it's, it's not as young a film as would ever deal with that, but. You almost get the impression that Oscar is is transmasculine. He won't swim, mm -hmm. 
and the insult that is thrown at him is little girl. And he's not Oscar, what's his name? Owen. 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 Yeah. So ra- rather than Piggy, it's little girl. Right. It's... And it, it just... It, there's something there about perceptual gender and identification. Not identity, but, but identification that Eli identifies with Oscar's mum and borrows her clothes, not Oscar's clothes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's worth learning Swedish to read the original book. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I'd be curious to see if that flip with the pronouns happens in the original book. Yeah. Um. Oh, to be fair, I'm so, so this is just me speculating. I've got no idea. I'm just, I'm just thinking. Um, about pronouns here, because so, yeah, it might be that the pronouns are, 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 are gendered, but if you're thinking about something like French, if you're saying her book, for example, then the her or him will be depending on the gender of the book, not the gender of the um, owner of the book. So mm. it's, yeah, so, so therefore as a translator, it might be that the her, him thing comes down the translation line because, um, because mm. you 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 don't recognise the gender of the owner from the the pronoun that you use to collect the book. You'd use yeah. It, it, so that I mean, that just that's just obviously French, and that was just may, maybe it is because yeah. Because we just looked up our um, our genders, our pronouns and nouns gendered in Swedish, but it might be more complicated. It might be someone who is fluent. We, we do know someone who is fluent in Swedish. Oh, well, then we'll ask her. We can ask her. Um, <clears throat> mm. Yeah. In the, ori- in the original Swedish... Hold on, I just found a blog post. Uh, Eli, in fact, never asserts a gender identity beyond stating what he is not in the original swedish the only gendered pronouns to describe eli in the third person narrative come from oscar's perception of oh well there we go there we are a similar thing is done in the english version but due to english's lack of gender neutral pronouns eli is referred to female outside of oscar's perspective where it was otherwise neutral Oh, there you go. Then. Uh, Linguist has posted on the We the Infected or uh, forums a bit. In one post, he clears up some of his intentions with the Eli character. I knew from the beginning that Eli was a boy. What happened when I let Eli meet Oscar was that Eli started to change his behavior from what I had originally envisioned. I didn't even know that they were going to fall in love, but I felt that Eli Elias, so Ellie Elias, maybe, okay would try to appear more likable in order to get closer to Oscar once he decided not to kill him, the stroke on the cheek. Since Oscar perceives Ellie as a girl, Ellie is content with not informing him otherwise, although he can't help himself on a few occasions. Ellie doesn't want to fool Oscar. He is uncertain if Oscar is going to leave him if the truth comes out. So... I can... Okay. <laughs> oh, I have a lot of trans feelings about that, which I will go into another time. But, um... 
God, yeah, I, I'm sticking by my reading of this is a, a, a cis guy writing a trans feminine character. He does um, go on to say, he does end that post by saying, but from the beginning, Ellie was just Ellie, nothing, anything, and he's still a mystery to me. Okay. So I think Lindquist is definitely agreeing that he's probably not the best person to be writing that character and the character just sort of dictated. Okay, uh, okay yeah. yeah, so because the way that the English translation works, it does come across as, and this is the authorial in, um, um, statement here, Eli is actually a boy. And, and, it, and it comes down as, you've been reading um, them as a female all this time, they're actually a boy because they were born a boy, and that, um, biology is fact. That's almost how it comes across. Just to criticise, just to kind of go against that with the, and it's it's not a it's not a castration because castration is the removal of the testicles. Um, it, it is everything that is is. I mean, I see it almost as a as an act of liberation. Eli has been liberated from gender right. by having external sexual characteristics removed and has been liberated from adulthood by being turned into a vampire mm -hmm. so it's the sense that they have had uh, yeah and, and and as as Lindquist says you know is 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 is, is themselves a lie is a lie right and that is and there is there is nothing beyond that nothing and everything mm -hmm. right and that neutrality i think is is is, is really interesting because that's what gives them the power to hit harder than they dare. Mm. And I mean, just as um, sort of going into the Hammer film briefly, um, <coughs> there's a yeah. So the idea of gender doesn't actually come up in in that, but um, you've got this very delicate looking. Um, Owen. No, female. Abby. Abby, but <clears throat> Abby, in the majority of it, but where they do the vampire thing, it's a full-on sort of um, um, cross between Buffy and uh, the treatment of the werewolves in Underworld um, transformation. Okay, is it still <laughs> um, Chloe Moritz? Hmm? Is it still Chloe Moritz under the the makeup, or or is it? Uh, I I mean, it's, it's, it's very it's CGI. beyond makeup. And so you get, you basically get this Gollum-esque character that okay. she morphs into when she's being vampiric. And, um, and it's, you know, all entirely bestial. They put a lot of emphasis onto this kind of, this creature jumping around and grabbing onto people's necks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then there's this particular moment where, where Owen is hearing the argument between uh, the vampire and her person, man. Um, and, and which is the same argument that's in, in the book and in the um, Let the Light One In. Um, he, assume, he, he hears this male voice shouting, oh, I suppose I'll just have to do it myself or do I have to do everything or something like that. And you cut to the two of them and you realise it's actually um, Abby shouting at this sort of like broken man, and right. that male aggressive voice—I do I have to do everything? Was her? 
Well, she calls him a little bitch as well. I mean, yes. it's, it's, it's yes. incredibly violent language. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously completely different to the um, to Let What the Wild Ones in, where the twist is that he's yelling at her because she's making him commit violence yeah. rather right. than... But what I'm saying here is actually the Hammer film, in doing that, is basically making her agenda. As in, the, mm. the, the femininity is just there as a as a way of lulling in the, um, uh, um, yeah, to, to create security, and right. the masculinity is in the, uh, and that, that just seems or to be Or is it replicating transmisogenistic tropes? Oh. I mean, I, there, there is that sense that the man is violent, well, hiding under this... <laughs> yeah, I, I'm... I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm implying that they are using <laughs> the gender of the character um, in a ambiguous way. Mm. Yeah, no, I wasn't comfortable with that. No, 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 absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, yes. there is... Yeah, sorry. So, Go. has anybody seen the pilot for the TV show? There's a TV show? Oh, God. There's a pilot. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> why, why Why? would they do this to me? Let the Right One In is an American drama television series created by Jeff Davis for TNT. It's based on the best-selling oh, novel. Oh, I don't want... Jeff Davis also serves as executive producer along with Marty Alstein, Becky Clements, Simon Oates, and with Euros Lynn directing the plot. The first episode was scheduled to premiere in 2017. However, TNT ultimately passed on the plot. Pilot. The premise in a small Vermont town, 16 year old Henry is heavily bullied by his classmates. He is lonely and neglected by the adults around him. When a charismatic young girl named Ellie moves to his hometown with her mysterious caretaker, they quickly become friends. Meanwhile, a series of strange murders occur, which draw the attention of law enforcement. So is this, is this, let the right one in through the lens of Twilight. That's what it sounds like to me. Oh, man. I, That's I'm what it sounds like to me. It also sounds like the full pitch for my novel, so there you go. <laughs> uh, A&E announced the development of the show in March 2015 after winning a bidding war with Showtime. Project was moved to TNT in early 2016. Um, the pilot is produced by Tomorrow Studios in association with Turner's Studio T. Filming took place in Vancouver from October of 2016 to November of 2016. Jesus. And at the end of the series, they will go, they will go off um, together and have adventures in the world. And solve crimes. Solve crimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael, this one's for you. So is it a vampire novel? It it definitely is. I mean, yeah. it's got it's got everything. It's got the undead blood drinking nocturnalness. Uh, I I do like that they're you know it's it's almost like a requirement that these books have to have a part where the vampire says, "Oh, I'm not a vampire. I'm just you know nocturnal, undead, blood drinking." <laughs> no, you're like okay. What you're trying to say is. I'm not what Bram Stoker described, and that's fine. But like, <laughs> no, you're a vampire. Come on, like you, you, you've been speaking, you know, the language for however long. You know, you're a vampire. So, 
You, Fred, I'm looking at you. <laughs> yes, thank you. That was, yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, it's, yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's a vampire book. Mm. Mm -hmm. I got I got no complaints on that front. It, it it is almost unashamedly a vampire book, which is one of the reasons I love it. It's yeah, it's uh, it's hits all the, the right points. The burst into flame and <laughs> yeah, gotta have that. That was yeah, upsetting. It was. Let's talk about Veronica. Yes, let's 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 go there. The, yes, the, 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 the lady who is on the brink of redemption and is trying her best, and then gets vamped and decides to end her own life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do we think? Uh, hmm. I, hmm. So it's you know it's it's unclear uh, how you know we don't have enough examples of. of vampires in the book to know uh how you know driven by their bloodlust they are so i think you know from her perspective she was going to turn into a monster and hurt people and so she ended her life and was like okay well that sounds like a good call but it's like well if this were a different vampire book then like no you just be a vampire and try to be good you know well, yeah. like yeah. edward <laughs> <laughs> or Hannibal Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Better example. But you do get a lie at one point saying that she's met other vampires and they're all these just absolutely god awful monsters. Mm. Yeah. But, and she thinks what yeah. saved her is the fact she's a child. Yes. Yeah, so um, you've got the description of Veronica and her relationship with the infection. And this sense of deep malevolence eating her up in her core that is manifesting and you could that sort of that sort of sense of disassociation of there is something in me that's not me that's taking over that I'm enthralled to to. Mm -hmm. Um which yeah, there the, there was no sense in which um she could have how do I live with this? Uh, as yeah, such, um, because she was already feeling that um, there is something beyond me that I can't control here. Um, I know. It's, I mean, it's a fascinating description that whole bit, and it's it's tragic. Um, Kind of, there, there's kind of an interesting parallel between that scene of her, you know, uh, opening up the shade or whoever opens up the blinds um, with the scene where um, Hakan goes to the window so Ellie can bite him. It's like mm. salvation mm. from the window. And I'm not sure what to make of that. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, and they both end in death because he yeah. Well, it's the title, isn't it? Let the right one in. Right. Oh. Let the light one in. Oh. Uh. 
because so. I mean, just just coming coming to this about about the title and when Oscar goes to stay with his father, and he becomes the werewolf because he's mm. drunk. Yes, and he doesn't let him in, and it's that Oscar, you know, I want a hug, and don't you love me, and all of that, and he runs away. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Just, just thinking about that is you, you say salvation from the window, but it is—it's about who we let in, isn't it? It is. And like, and wait, and if I remember correctly, the preceding scene was his father had one of his friends over, and they start drinking, right? Mm. Yeah, so, you know, he's he's letting in the bad elements in a very literal sense. Yeah. 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 Um. Interesting, like the with the um, with the bullying, um, like we talked about the where it starts to escalate, um, but where it really escalates is when the the bullies bring in the you know whatever the kid's name is his older brother, yeah. like and it's suddenly really escalated to you know possibly but, murder, maybe just dismemberment. I don't know, um, and then Oscar you know, uh, letting in Ellie and that, you know, escalates things quite a bit. Well, it's not Oscar who lets her in, it's the other boy, it's the boy who is freaking out. Oh. And she, he's sitting yeah. on, he's sitting on the, on the, on the spectator seats and watching this happen, freaking out. And she appears on the roof and she's like, invite me in. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then just- And the boy is safe, is safe, isn't he? Yeah, that's yeah. the one who survives. He's the one who says it was an angel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then, sorry, just just another one. The, the, the air aid shelter under the buildings that they go into, that Tommy has, they've jammed the lock so it doesn't close. He lets anyone in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's a lot about threshold in this. Well, there? yeah, that absolutely is, and um, <clears throat> I, I'm I'm trying because I because I want to go into talking about Tommy because Tommy's whole story is, um, I mean, he's he's he he is on that threshold. Mm. Um, he has lost his childhood. He's aware of how shit his life is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um. And yet he's still a child and still has that freedom. He that that sort of the um um the prank in the um uh, in the church. It's hilarious. Is what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, um, that that is him yeah, you know, still in that moment of freedom, still not condemned. Um that sort of sense in which um yeah that the yeah the, the his mother's uh, boyfriend sort of being let into their life and all that but but, but he but this yes his, his story is just such a um it's so upsetting i mean he in another story he would be the hero of this story yeah um, yeah yeah i could say that you know um and his that scene where he is defending himself, beating for hours on end again. Um, yeah. oh, God. 
which is horrific and awful and leaves him scarred and but is still kind of a, a redemption scene for him where he somehow manages to slay this demon or defend himself against it or hold off the demon that's coming over the threshold whether that's the demon of adulthood or whatever you know it's yeah the tommy who is excluded from every other version he, he appears briefly in let me in as a but he had to move away no the whole point is that he didn't move away and he still didn't save you god damn it <laughs> um but yes yeah yeah i'm with you on this mm. i like tommy yeah um Yeah, sorry. Anyone else? <laughs> I can't speak too much to Tommy. I mean, if you want to talk about the who's Tommy, I can speak to that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I Tommy, to Tommy while Tommy isn't perfect and is, he is probably the most likable character in the book yeah would you would you agree what i've seen yes i'd agree um but even he 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 gives up responsibility yeah because it's the childish thing it's yeah. he is still a child it's and i i am having more trouble navigating this book um as in i'm trying to find quotes and i can't find them but there's a bit where he's talking to to Oscar, and you get his thought process, which is that yeah, he's getting bullied really badly, but you know that happens, and eventually his bullies will grow out of it. Is sort of, is mm. is the yeah kind of mental process there, and it's he abandons Oscar to his fate mm. because not even not even the best of them can help him. No, that's it. Uh, okay, I mean, it's slightly linking in because of these, because we're talking about the different characters here. What, what did you think about the structure? Because it's a, it's a very complexly structured novel, which is why you're finding it difficult to find quotes there. That would help, yeah. Does that is that effective? Does it work? What's what's the effects that Ling's Fist is going for there? <laughs> what is the structure that you're that you're bringing up? What is what is it about the structure? So the there's the the multiple narratives with the occasional sort of um, epistolary sort of link to it. Yeah, you know, your, your, your occasional sort of um, thing of of newspaper reports. The not the huge number of characters we yeah. um, mm-hmm. hit up it. And perspective jumps between chapters because each chapter is just a day. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, t- um, that it's not linear in terms of its um, narrative, so you will start the next chapter and realise you're sort of six hours before the end of the previous chapter. Yeah. Yeah, not, not chapter, but section. Yeah, yeah. This is when you've got, you've got like a line break and then you switch to another character mm. at a completely different time of yeah. day. Right, yeah, okay. All right. So that, that's, that's what I mean. It's... it's the, the structure is very complex and clearly deliberately so. Mm-hmm. So what do we think? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think there were times when it was 
briefly confusing and then you know go back and reread something and go oh okay where from this because you know it doesn't if it doesn't the section doesn't start with you know telling you whose perspective you're going to be in it, it was a little a little confusing at times but there's a lot of characters i will say that mm, yeah i like they they all kind of blur together like there's certainly all the all the the guys in the bar are just one person <laughs> yeah i i at points got confused between jimmy and tommy who okay. is jimmy man i don't remember. jimmy's the bully who loses oh, right. Yeah, and there's Tomas, um, who's the bully who asks across the face. Right. Am I right about Jimmy? I think you're right about Jimmy. Uh, it's it, no, no, because Jimmy is not the evil one. Yeah. It's Tomas is the evil one. Yeah. I think. God. <laughs> I um. Uh, isn't Jimmy the evil one and Tomas the redeemed? This of the ex friend who's a good, but yeah, the point is, I um, at one point I thought that Tommy was the person who had been bullying Oscar and then got, and that's so yeah, there's the, the, all these yeah. names, all, it, all these perspectives that is very confusing. Um, and I suppose on a very broad spectrum thing, um, if you're saying the novel is about a culture, a society that's broken, then that's then the particular effect here is actually. There's lots and lots of voices all screaming out in anguish. You know. Um, and another, um, uh, you can answer this because you've read most of his novels. Thomas um, is Thomas is the one who used to be a friend who is now the worst bully. Yes. There you go. Sorry. Okay. Cool. Um, is is this just a? This is why how you write um, vampire novels, you know, because Dracula is a. Um, head hoppy sort of epistillary type. No, he likes to head hop. But yeah, but um, it, it's there is a sense in which this feels similar to Dracula in many ways, and I can't actually. Um, are there actually sections that are in from Eli's point of view? Yeah. yeah. But but that is a much slimmer element of it. It's much more. The novel seems to be about lots of people who she affects rather than herself. Again, so again, Dracula. It's. Yeah. I mean, I would say. argue that multiple viewpoints just feels more Scandinavian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost a murder mystery thriller. You know? It has that crime-driven intensity. Michael and I were talking about um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo before you two came on. Yeah. Um, not having read it, and admittedly not having seen the movie... Is there similarities in the structure? I mean, I, I've also not read it. Okay. Um, Michael, you uh, read it. From, from what I remember, I don't think so. I think it was mostly just the two main characters' perspective. And I think for much of the novel, it was just the, the whatever the guy's name was. Because... Um, uh, Lizbeth's character gets introduced a little later, so it's primarily, you know, I don't even, I don't remember if it was first person or third person, but it's, it, it's, you know, it's a kind of detective novel feel. We've got the, the good guy's perspective, and, and that's it. 
if okay. I remember correctly. All right, so it primarily follows him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So yeah, I I have not read much Scandinavian writing, so I can't say anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think what else I've read. Um, uh, Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but there's Joe Nesbo I mean, from Norway. He's popular. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read his books, but it's that's Scandinavian. You know, I've seen it. In terms stuff. of in terms of the film, um, it the film feels very Scandinavian. It feels very similar mm. to um, Rare Exports. God, I don't know if you've encountered Rare Exports. No, I can't say I've heard. Rare of Exports is a Finnish Christmas film. Oh boy, <laughs> about where um, about these group of Americans who come in and are trying to like um like find the real santa claus find f find the real santa claus who was like buried in ice a thousand years ago something and it, this, is, this is the kraus and basically you've got this boy who's very similar to oscar in many ways um who uncovers the truth of it and it it is it's basically a film that starts off in a very certain kind of way and then flips and it's, it, you, I can't tell you any more without telling you, just go and see it, because it's this wonderful, very Scandinavian um, film. <laughs> something I was possibly going to say was the, the, the role of darkness in this film and in, 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 in the Scandinavian <laughs> film, in, in the novel, but the, this sense of just being, oh, goddamn daylight. Yeah, right. Which was something that was not in the English language film at all. But it is set in those short days of winter. That, and I think that's what, when I say it's Northern European, I just mean it's it's dark, and not just in the sense of the content or the material is dark, but it's just there's no daylight, there's no light at right. all. Which I remember being part, being being very aware of in that movie specifically because. I want to say 30 Days of Night came out about mm. the same time. And I prefer mm. a comic book for the... Yeah, 2007. Yeah. So 30 Days of Night... 30 Days of Night came out in 2007. So I remember being yeah, I aware of the use of... Uh, the lack of sunlight in uh, mm. in let the right one in mm. is that really beat on the reader in the novel do they does does looking kiss go into that or i mean it's just a sense it's the sense of going to school in the dark mm. and coming home in the dark yeah. and going out to play in, in the, the dark, dark yeah. Oh, I, I mean, that can happen in in Michigan in the dead of winter. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we get to the point where we really have like 
probably about eight hours of sunlight in the mm. dead of winter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not saying it isn't, but it's those images of Oscar sitting on the jungle gym mm -hmm. in the courtyard of his apartment building in the pitch black, mm -hmm. in the snow. It just... In October. In October, yeah. It's just so... It, it's it, it, it's that just that oppression of night time hmm. that it it just pervades it. It's, it's that sense that before going in for supper, he's sitting out in the dark. And I mean, you know, the nights are drawing in here now. And I know we, yeah, but hmm. it it's a physical presence in the book mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. Like, we get that in December, you know, you pick the kids out from school and the sun's setting, you know. Right. But in, in October, God, and just that that night being an absolute presence in your life, constantly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I... Because, I, mm. I mean, I've read um, uh, Lind Lind Lindquist's Little Star, which is set in the summer. And that, that light is a presence in that. It's that says the sun never fucking sets. It's just daylight all the damn time. Right. And that's brutal and unforgiving in its own way. But it's... Because um, something that hit me, because we were only watching Let Me In, was it, last night? Yeah. And it threw up that shot, do you know where your children are? It's 10pm. Hmm. That sort of sleep screen. Mm -hmm. On the television. And, and that sense that... You didn't need that in Let the Right One In because it was dark from 2, 2 p.m., you know? Right. Yeah. Right. When, what part of the, what time of the year does Let Me In take place? It's winter. It is winter, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I right. was about to say, I mean, we're talking about, it takes place in New Mexico, right? Los Alamos? Uh, Los Alamos, yeah. Yeah, it's Los Alamos. We're not talking about a real long night down there. It's a uh, yeah. They kept the cold. So in the winter in Los Alamos, yeah, I mean it probably still is pretty. It still probably goes pretty late. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always found it interesting that they decided to set that in the uh, in the southwest. Yes. Yeah. No, and, and that's I, I, I mean, watching, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> New England. Um, yeah. Be... You know, I, I, I could have seen New England. I could have seen the Pacific Northwest, Alaska, obviously. But, of course, with them doing that after 30 days of night, you don't want to do Alaska. Mm. Um. Oh, like, Canada. Just film the thing in Canada. Yeah. You know? I mean, because uh, this is also the thing. They, there wasn't... They didn't massively explore, say, poverty or anything. So mm -hmm. um, I, d I don't know what that particular part of uh, New Mexico is like. But the, 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 the location clearly wasn't chosen because of a... Um, yeah, because they were working for a sense of space there. Because 
there is almost I mean the um the couple the, essentially Veronica in it mm -hmm. um the couple that gets attacked and uh, the woman who gets killed and turned into a vampire right. um you almost get a kind of middle class type vibe from them I mean you don't you don't get enough characterization to get anything real from them but there's there's no sense in which this is a broken society so you can't explain the location on uh, yeah i mean los alamos is i mean that's that's where um they did a lot of the uh atom bomb testing and things yes like that. um and just looking up uh the wikipedia entry real quickly it's um it's actually not that big of a city uh, there are only 5,249 households. Mm. Um, and there are 5,863 housing units. Mm. And their median household income now, I can't speak for the early 80s, but now is $98,458. Okay. So their, their income is significantly higher than the rest of New Mexico. So I, I, I think it's a fairly well-to-do place. I have not... I've never been to New Mexico, period. Okay. Um, California, Arizona, Utah, Colorado. So yeah, I've never been to New Mexico. Blackburg was... It's very lower middle class. Yeah. It's yes. like people who claim to be... We're, we're decent, hard-working types, but can never get a damn break. Mm. Right. That's that's the feeling. So it's 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 not poor, but it's on the borderline of poverty. Mm -hmm. We're sitting at somewhere which has got a higher than medium income. Kind of kind of yeah. kills that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you've got um, you potentially got a bit of the small town mentality going in there. But I am wondering, just purely cynically, whether it was just that was somewhere they could film cheaply and that's the whole reason for the setting it there screenwriter grew up in, in new mexico or something and was like aha we'll set it there yeah you know, it's like all the john hughes movies in in wherever it was illinois i can't remember because ultimately there is not a strong sense of location in that film unlike in the other two but it's right. odd. I've, I've read some fantasy things that were set in i think new mexico or that general is it south southwest southwest yeah, where it's about these small towns in the middle of a fucking desert where sure. people either pass through or are just stuck there. Sure. And I mean, um, near dark. No, not near dark. Uh, help, yeah. guys. It's yeah, one we've done on the podcast. Yeah, near dark doesn't doesn't go out to the southwest. Near dark stays in, in the south. It's that not near dark. It's Friday night. Friday night, yes. Yeah. Which is set in this isolation yeah and using that would have worked yeah. sure i mean yeah I, I, i'm at some point i'm just gonna have to watch it and see if i can figure out what's what's going on yeah there, but. i mean it's not really worth your time it doesn't it was hollow mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i would yeah, what i was i've been sort of saying um, on this film is that if you watch it without any reference to the source material it feels like a fairly solid hammer 
Okay, so a fairly solid hammer of the past decade, of all of their work, of... I mean, I mean because, th- let's be honest, th- Hammer really fell apart, you know, like, 1968. Yeah. yeah. But, this, to, to an extent, this is... Uh, it felt like... Uh, well, maybe solid is the wrong word. A... Um, but... Watchable. A watchable... Okay. Relatively, relatively generic, but not ambitious hammer film. Okay. So, right. so, so we're not talking about um, the, their version of uh, Woman in Black. Okay. It, we're we're talking about a film that may have had Peter Cushing in it. Yeah. <laughs> but not a Dracula uh, film. It would have just been. Yeah. And one of their was, their stable films. Yeah. And they were borrowing stuff from uh, Wicker Man. They were, they they were using imagery from The Ring. I mean, I think what got me about it was that it managed to be apolitical. Mm. I'm thinking, how can you adapt? Let the right one in, right? And think it's apolitical. Well, and it's 1982. I mean, Reagan's been in office at that point for yeah. a year and a half. You know, because he would have been inaugurated in, in early 80. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how, yeah, it, 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 it sounds disappointing because yes, having been alive at that time and been somewhat aware of what was going on, I mean, I would have been nine years old, so yeah. I wouldn't have been that much younger than Owen. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it kind of glosses over. Yeah, and this is it. So what I was sort of going down the lines of, if this was classic era Hammer, mm-hmm. where you're releasing, you know, um, I don't know what their release late was quite like. It feels like they did several a year. I don't know if that's actually the case. But, um, but you're releasing Hammer movies all the time. And some of them are sort of, you know, seen as you know exceptional some of them are just this is what you're going to see if you want to go and see a um a, a, a generic horror film right and if the and it almost feels like their adaption yeah so their um let me in was intended to be a revival of that era as in we're suddenly going to turn back into a production company doing sort of you know easy easy watching sort of gore fest horror okay and if it had been done in that way, and we hadn't gone to it having read the book or watched the Scandinavian film, then I could see it being, oh yeah, that, yeah, that was quite good. And to be fair, some of the reviews for it do seem to be, oh yeah, this was a yeah, pretty solid horror. I really enjoyed this. <clears throat> and I, I think, and I think that's the thing. It's, it's an absolutely missed opportunity. It's not. They're not trying to break any boundaries. They're not trying to do something. Very arty in a, um, in the sense that they tried to do with um, uh, with uh, a woman in black. Right. Um, it just feels like a Hammer film, and that's acknowledging the fact that there's some Hammer films that are actually really good. <laughs> right. It's considering right. that it was a of something that mm. actually was quite challenging. Yeah. And was a perfectly adequate horror film on its own mm. ground as well, but there was. Really disturbing and thought-provoking. But I suppose if you're coming as a Hammer executive, 
in a from a cynical point of view and you're saying well basically what do hammer do they take these traditions of gothic horror and do some fairly simplistic sort of um piled down versions of them so if you, you, you yeah. yeah then that's what they've done they, they have yeah in the same in the same way that um you know their version you know to be fair the the original dracula they did took took off a lot of the elements Oh yeah. yeah, but it put some back in. Yeah. We're stripped of. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, no. I, 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 I'm not actually laying into or criticising Hammer <laughs> in its original form. Don't criticise that. What I am saying is, you are a cynical modern Hammer um, uh, executive who's trying to revive the company, and you are trying to almost doing a pastiche of what you think Hammer should have been back in the. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what I felt with it. It, okay. it, it, it was one of my favourite studios adapting one of my favourite novels and they made a horrible mess of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you can necessarily consider the studio the same studio as... No, and that's no, kind of what I'm saying. Um, but, you know, you can uh, take this as him doing um, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper if you want. Just fuck <laughs> Sorry. Are we, are we meant to swear? I think it's clear, though, that Reeves, the director, has gone on to do better things, considering the fact that he's... Oh, yeah, I've heard, um, I've heard of Matt Reeves. He's, he directed um, the last two Planet of the Apes movies, so Dawn of the Planet of the Apes okay. and War for the Planet of the Apes. At least Love I think it. they're the last two. Aren't they the last two? Because I think Dawn comes after Rise. Yes, Dawn comes after so and those are actually those are pretty solid he's supposed okay. to do the batman movie that uh affleck was originally going to to direct and then was not going to direct but was going to star in and now they're saying will be uh pattinson oh yeah <laughs> so full circle in a really weird convoluted way because now we're back he, to he can Edward. actually act pattinson yeah, I know that. He can. And to be fair, she's not that bad either. She just has a certain vacant look that she gives sometimes. Yeah. I think it's when they ask her to be straight. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think that was that was probably part of it. And part of it is she does just have a very vacant look that she gives sometimes. So. Uh, oh, hey. He also directed Cloverfield. I don't know if you guys have seen Cloverfield or not. No, I know the film, but I've not seen it. It's the, uh, it's, it's a sort of a Godzilla-esque movie. Found, uh, found footage Godzilla-esque movie. So you don't really see the monster till like, the very end. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Right. Does everybody feel like they're 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 yeah. talked out on this? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I, I think, think so. we could talk more about it, but um, I mean, we are. I think we've covered. Yeah. There's a, the, there is a lot going on then, and yes. uh, I, I mean, you can talk about these. You can talk about the sense of space. You can talk about the 
explorations of these broken characters and the way that the vampire is um, almost just a, a, a metaphor of what's going on in the society there. You can, the, um, um, yeah, the, the, there is a lot there, but. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah, there's definitely a lot there, and I think, I think I definitely have to finish reading this at some point, along with a bunch of other stuff that I have to. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and rewatch the movie because it has been, you know, as I was telling Michael, I, I saw it when it made its way through the art house circuit here, yeah. which would have been two thousand nine. Um, so two thousand six over here, wasn't it? Yeah, two, it was. A, the movie was two thousand eight. So it can't no, it, no, it can't have been. No, it was. Yeah, it was 2008. No, because we weren't married when we saw that. We saw that when I was at uni. Alright, let's go Sorry. Right over here. 2008. Is it 2008? 2008 romantic, Swedish romantic horror film. <laughs> it came out in 2004. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I will yield, but we weren't married, so it must have been... At least January 26th of 2008 in Gothenburg. Um, okay, yeah, so we did it January, February that year. Okay, I, I yeah. yield. I yield. Yeah. Okay. I was convinced I was going in halls, but obviously I wasn't. Because <laughs> the, the book came out in 2004, movie came out in 2008. Yeah. Then I would have seen it in 2009. So it's yeah. been it's been ten years since I since I saw it, and it's it's I've retained a decent amount from it. So yeah, it's no, you done done very well considering you yeah. have yeah. yeah. Um, it, it does stay with you. It does, doesn't it? It's a it's a it's a fairly intense you know piece. I mean, it's not. It's not the most violent, it's not the most bloody, but in many ways, it, it's extremely intense on both of those fronts. Yeah. Actually, one last question. Mm -hmm. Eli, at the end, mm -hmm. as an angel, is she an angel? Is she the right one? Is she, <laughs> when, when, when she comes in, it's that description, they, they were all clear on it, what they'd seen right. was an angel. I mean, the devil was an angel too. Right. It's the line that comes to mind. Yes. <clears throat> um, if the if society is corrupted, and everything about the world that's going on is awful, um, and immoral, and without redemption, she comes in and offers that escape, that redemption in one sense. Right. Um, hey, she even resurrects people. That's true. That's true. So, is she an angel of vengeance? I think she's a child's angel. I think this is coming back to the question of mm. child. And childhood is absolutely ruthless. Yeah. These boys were doing bad. They were murdered violently by an angel. Mm. Yep. It's that. It's that absolutist yeah. morality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They started it. You know, she's an angel of mercy. 
I love you. <laughs> she basically helps all of these very broken people from this very broken society out of their predicament. Lucky was never going to get out, and she helped him out. And um, G- Jimmy and his brother were both, you know, in awful, vile predicaments because of their parents and um, were, had been forced into, by their, by their upbringing, by the, all these kind of the mess they got themselves into, into becoming in, inhuman and um, committing this crime. And she helped them. She relieved them of their responsibilities. She's an angel of mercy. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> that is a that is a very um that is that is a somewhat cynical mercy. Um Okay. But she's not the angel of mercy we want. But she's the angel of mercy we need. Oh, thank you, Jim Gordon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> okay. So it is after six here. It's getting late there. Ten um, Do we have any final words we want to say about this? I, I, I think we could. Piffle. Okay. All right. So you heard it, folks. We're good. <laughs> so, you've been listening to this podcast, Bites, an occasional podcast with aspirations of being monthly. Thanks. Your hosts are usually Alice Wilfred Earl, Maddie Tucker, Michael Gordon, and me, Joffrey Sproul. If you're already a subscriber, we're thrilled to have you. Please tell your vampire loving friends about us. If you aren't yet a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Just visit our website at thispodcastbytes.com for more information. Also, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bytes Podcast. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Thanks again. We really do appreciate your support. Make sure to tip your waiters. <laughs>